Um, wow. <laughs> Thank you very much, Pastor Roland, for that um, introduction. <laughs> it's uh, a lot to live up to, I think. And um, yeah, look, it, it is actually uh, really good to be back after 18 months. And uh, I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest. It's been, a, it's been a while since I've been up in front of a crowd. And it's been a while since I've come back um, and been part of FGA. Um, but over the last two weeks, Sonia, Sonia and I, my wife's over there, uh, we've been settling in, getting back, getting used to life back in, in Melbourne and getting used to life back at FGA. And I have to admit, um, it's, it's really like coming back to family. And um, FGA is like our home here. Um, I've been, I'll tell you a little bit about my life a bit later on, but uh, we've been here for a long time. And to see familiar faces, to see new faces and see different things change in FGA, it's been very exciting for us, uh, very much so. And um, I've, I've come back and the last two weeks for me just been a real kind of observation kind of two weeks where I'm looking, I'm checking everything out and people checking me out. I'm kind of like the new boy on the block and... Um, it feels a bit weird, to be honest, and it's great to see new faces, it's great to see, I was in kids' ministry, I think, this morning and last week, and some of these kids are, like, they're tall now, I mean, like, they're taller than me, and it's, and it's, not, it's not very hard, but, you know, excite kids are taller, and that's not fair, you know what I mean, God didn't give me the gift of height, but that's all right. Um, but what I've noticed as well, there's a lot of babies here um, as well. And um, I know Chris told me when I was on the phone, uh, chatting with him when I was in Chicago, Chicago, that there's a lot of new young families here. And there's babies seeming to be popping out of everywhere. And um, it's fantastic, <laughs> including ourselves. <laughs> but um, I don't know what FGA has been doing to this church, but um, it's been very fruitful for the last 18 months. And it's fantastic to see um, people are pregnant and, you know, babies coming as well. But um, I'm going to start, my, I'm going to introduce a little bit about my family as well. And I just, um, we've been away in Chicago for 18 months. And this is my family here. Um, when we left Chicago, we, we were um, a family of five. And um, before I even start talking about my life in Chicago, I do want to um, thank a few people um, as well. Um, people often ask me how I feel when I, as I come back to Melbourne. How am I feeling? How's your family feeling? You know, are you settling in all right? All that sort of stuff. And, I, and we have to admit that we have been immensely um, blessed and we feel absolutely humbled by our experience that we've had over the last 18 months where we've been able to connect in with um, different people in, in America and just have a church that really supports us. And uh, look at our, our church, and we've been, we are really blessed and privileged to have a senior pastor like Pastor Chris and, 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 and um, Mayenne as well. And when they speak, um, like, they share a story like they did last week about their life and their experience. Um, they live it out, and they've been friends of ours for quite some time. And Chris was the one who really encouraged me to go, in fact, um, to, to the Chicago, and um, I can't thank him enough. Um, the staff, staff team here as well is fantastic. I don't know if you realize how amazing the pastoral staff and our staff are at FGA. Um, often I get asked the question, what do we do like, on an everyday week? And you know, FGA is not a, a simple church. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're, not, we're not a church that does nothing. If you look at our calendar, we're a busy church. And um, our staff... They are always with people. They're always doing things. They're always running programs. And um, it's because they love God and they love people. And for the last 18 months, they've been doing extra um, because I haven't been here. And their support has been immense as well. Um, yeah, but as I said before, we, we, um, 
I've just gotten back, and 18 months couldn't have been the 18 months that I've had without my wife, um, Sonia. Um, just want to kind of give a quick plug for my, my wife. I, I was trying to get her up here to say a couple of words, but I think it's a bit too last minute. And, but she's the one who's kind of really brought our family together over the last 18 months. You don't realize what you um, have sometimes until, you know, you don't have it for a while. And just to kind of give you a little bit of a um, background to our story, um, when, we, when we went to America... Um, December 2015. I still remember us um, planning for our trip. Um, December hit, and that was the whole process of getting all our visas and organized, and and we ran into a few issues. And um, partly my fault, I didn't fill out a certain form when I went for our interview, and Sonia and the kids um, had a bit of delay in their visas. And what happened over the next week or so, all our passports, all our visas came back, and Sonia's, for some reason, didn't come back, and she got left behind. And so we had to make a decision that I was going to take the two older kids with me, and Sonia was going to take our youngest kids. So I flew to Chicago um, earlier than Sonia, and we didn't, it was very uncertain times for us, and we didn't, we didn't know when Sonia was going to come, and with my youngest son, Levi. And so I was stuck with my two oldest kids. Never, ever have I looked after two kids for more than one night. And um, so you have to understand that for me, it was actually a very daunting thing. We're going to a new country. We don't, we don't know um, what um, people there. And so we get onto our flight. It's about a 25-hour flight there. It's crazy. Um, I'm tired. And um, we turn up in Chicago. Um, I haven't slept the whole night. Um, my kids don't sleep well on the flights. Asher, my oldest son, he, um, he needs two, two seats to sleep. And so he's taking my seat. I'm, I'm up all night. And, and we arrive. And I still remember um, that night. Uh, I fed them dinner, which is a good thing, um, brought them back, and I was just so tired. And um, I said, what would Sonia do in a situation like this? And my mind went blank. <laughs> and so I said, I'm at my friend's house. He's not here at the moment. There's Netflix. And so I said, hey, guys, just chuck on Netflix, and I'm going to sleep. Just go to sleep whenever you like. <laughs> And wake up whenever you like. So here I am. I'm the best father in the world, giving them the controls. And, they, and the next morning I wake up, they're still sleeping. I don't know what happened. Um, all I know is that they slept at some time of the night. Um, but it gets better. Um, the story goes on. And um, the next day, I, being the great parent I am, I've set up all these appointments in the morning with the university that I have there and um, with different people, the international office, the housing office. And so I wake up, I wake the kids up. We're half an hour late already because they couldn't get up. And um, it's cold, it's freezing. It's middle of winter in Chicago. And so we, we walk out. I feed my kids breakfast. They, um, my son eats Fruit Loops and a banana. And I can't remember what my daughter ate. But we walk out. And I remember it's my second, up, second appointment, of the, appointment of the day. And we're walking, we're walking, and we're walking to the, to the office with, with one of the guys there from Trinity. And I turn around, and I'm about to scold my kids for walking so slow, because they walk so slow. And as I turn around, my son, he stops. And I just remember looking at him, and he stops, and his face goes green. And everything he ate in the morning just comes projecting out of his body. And I'm like, where are you, Sonia? Um, <laughs> and the time like this. And, and like... You don't realize sometimes what you have. I didn't feed my kids um, more than two meals a day after that until Sonia arrived because I was just too scared. Um, <laughs> but just a little bit about my background, where we, where we were. We, we studied, at, studied at a place called Trinity. Um, Ted's, um, it was Ted's Trinity, um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School was where I was at. Um, Chris studied there um, a number of years back as well. I did a master's in arts in, um, in ministry where I majored in pastoral ministry. It was a mixture of um, 
practical ministry classes alongside a lot of theological classes as well. And so we had a great time. We stayed on campus. You're going to see a lot of pictures of winter because I just love the snow. And, um, and so this is kind of where we stayed. I want to kind of get, let you into my world a little bit and just to kind of share a little bit about our 18 months. But this is our apartment block where we were. That's my son there. Um, it, when we arrived, it snowed. And, and so it was great. It was beautiful. And uh, we stayed in the two-bedroom two bedroom apartment on campus, which was actually a real blessing in disguise for us. Um, this is our living room. It's a mess because we're a young family group, and um, life is never perfect. And so our place is always, we're always cleaning up after the kids. Um, we had two bedrooms. These, these are my kids. This is just before that we put them to sleep. They kind of all shared a room. We were kind of like, it was actually really nice, a nice refreshing for us to kind of be in such a confined area where we're in each other's lives all the time. And, and they enjoy, our kids really enjoyed the whole experience. Um, and so I studied there, and it was actually a really nice experience. It was, the campus itself was very beautiful. This was my walk to class, like in winter, every morning. If you can imagine that, instead of like a taking two, two or three minutes to get there, it would take me like 10 minutes because I'll just be admiring the, the, just the beauty of God's creation every morning. So this is the lake that you will pass every morning as you go to the library. Um, this is what I didn't like very much was um, in, the, in the morning and um, uh, mornings when you're rushing to get your kids out the door to school and then you realize, oh my goodness, it just snowed and you sort of spend 10 minutes warming the car up and sweeping the snow off. Um, that, that happened. And so, but we had a great time. As I said, uh, just when, when I arrived in Chicago, um, I know not a, lot, not a lot of you actually know me, but uh, when, I, when I first arrived in Chicago, I was... Um, a bit concerned about what would I do? Would I actually enjoy this whole process of studying the Word of God for 18 months? And as I studied more and more, as I as I um, spent time with people, and as I sat in classes, as I read, as I sat in the library, just reflecting on what God is speaking to me and everything, I discovered just how powerful and how relevant the Word of God really is. And it, and it, for me personally, it was such an adventure, such a journey for me as I grew more passionate. Number one about the Word of God, as my faith was reaffirmed, and you know. As, solidified and look it was just an amazing time where I could just spend and I, I just realized how great God really is for our whole process. Um, one of the greatest highlights for us uh, as a family was that um, about halfway through our trip um, Sonia gave birth to this little girl. Um, uh, um, she has um, absolutely um, melted my heart and again and again and again and she's, her name's Ellie Grace. Uh, we told her that um, she, she was due in mid-October that you can come at any time that you like in this next month except for maybe this one day um, in October because that was the day of my finals. I had one final on the 11th of October and that's all I cared about was that you just come any time in October, that's fine, just don't come on that day. Um, so it happened that um, 2 a.m. in the morning on the 11th of October, Sonia had contractions in the morning and... and um, <laughs> She woke up. We made seven o'clock was my seven thirty was my class in the morning, and then we made the executive decision. Sonia said, "Look, you got to go for your class anyway." And and so I went, did my exam, came back, rushed to the hospital, and um, a few hours later gave birth to this beautiful girl. And so we are absolutely blessed by her life. And um, yeah, but four um, is probably enough now. <laughs> um, so <laughs> this, is our, this is our beautiful family. Um, so this, for those who don't know me, um, we have four. My, it's my wife over there. This is when we were at Willow Creek. We attended Willow Creek. I did an internship at Willow Creek as part of my course, and we just learned so much from the experience. But when I pray, and I'm, I've got a message today, I'm talking to the, to the young adults 
Chris actually um, messaged me when I was in the States, um, telling, me that, telling me that I was going to preach on the 9th of July. And I was like, Chris, I only get back on the 1st of July. What's going on? Actually, I stopped talking to Chris after that. <laughs> I didn't want to give him any, um, any wrong ideas. Um, so let's pray and let's commit today to God. And let, I've got a message I believe that is for everyone, and especially for the young adults. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. I see your hand just move mightily in people's lives, and there's so many stories that are coming out of this church. Lord, even as we talk about the Generation Series today, even as we, we, I specifically talk to the young adults, I pray, Lord, that this message will be from you. I pray, Lord, that my words will not be my own, that as I speak from the Word of God, may your Word of God be relevant to today's, today's generation. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we, are, we will raise up a generation of young adults who would... Um, just be great influences in this world, God. May they be movers and, movers and shakers, God, amongst your people, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, just a little bit about background about myself personally. I haven't actually haven't met a lot of new faces here. So I would, over the next few weeks, I would love to say hi to you. And I, I was actually, I actually grew, a lot of, uh, grew up a lot on my young adult. Actually, my entire young adult life was at FGA. I came here um, towards the end of my year 12, my VC here, and um, did university. I was um, at Monash. I did my, my course at Monash. And all through that, that time, I was at FGA. And I have to say that um, it is actually a real blessing to have stuck with FGA because the relationships that have been formed over those years have been something special. I had youth pastors that really invested in my life, had people from different generations. Uncle Alan will always tell the story of how he took me fishing um, in Marimbula and, you know, people like that. I think that this generation series is all about that. And um, if you could just get a glimpse, and I think we're getting a glimpse now of what it means to be an intergenerational church, which is just so powerful. Um, one thing I've realized as a young adult is that you do grow up. And um, I always thought, you know, during that period I was at FGA that, uh, you know, I would always be a young adult. I wish, I mean, I kind of wished I was always a young adult. And um, I, Sonia and I play this little bit of a game where when we, when we have to go to a place that requires, um, like, your, your ID, we always let one person go in first. So say we need to buy some, some I don't know, like wine, some cooking, cooking wine that Sonia needs for her cooking. And we go to a place and they, and they need your ID. We, I let Sonia go in first and we always joke around because we always watch the other person go in and we see the person checks if, you know, they still need to check our ID or not. Because if they do, it's great because they're still young, right? And, um, and so I, often I go in and often they check my ID and I always have a bit of a giggle. They look at my license and go, they, they look at it and see my age and they, and they laugh and go, how do you stay so young? And I, uh, I don't know, happy wife, happy life. <laughs> That's my uncle joke for today. <laughs> I was at the Empty Nesters um, um, party last night. And um, man, do they know how to party. I, when I'm their age, I want to be partying as hard as they do. Um, but we all grow up. And one thing I know for sure is that the young adult group that we have today, um, you are a group that is so diverse. Um, as, as I talk to young adults, you probably, um, for our church's sake, we're talking, probably talking about the 18 to 30-year-olds that are here, and maybe for some of us who are a little bit older as well. But I remember when I was a young adult, you know, going through studies and, you know, getting a job for the first time, changing job, finding my life partner, you know, getting married, um, having kids, you know, all my young adult years. And for some of you, you're single, you're in relationships, you're not in relationships, you're studying, you're working, whatever, running your own business. It's a really diverse group. And your life, and especially in this generation of young adults, is one where 
I think that is filled with opportunity. One that is so much opportunity, whether it's because our, it's our parents and our grandparents work really hard for us and we have all this opportunity, or, be, or whether because this world that we live in has so, many, so much opportunity, we are a generation that has immense amount of potential. And, um, but at the same time, we're a generation that lives for the now. We're a generation who loves the instant gratification. We love to see resu- we're results orientated. We are people who, um, yeah, like to be moving and seeing things get done. We, we, um, we live for the present. And today I want to kind of talk through Scripture a little bit. Um, I want to kind of delve into Scripture, use it a little bit as a, as a framework for where I'm going today. And so it's a bit of Scripture I'm going to read, so kind of stay with me a little bit. Um, there is a, a good point that I think I want to make out of it. Um, if we can turn to our Bibles this morning to um, 2 Kings chapter 13. Um, let me give a little bit of heads up, a little bit of context. Every, every scripture needs to be um, read in context of where um, it is placed in the Bible. So the book of Kings talks about, um, and it really narrows down on the nation of Israel. Uh, we read through 1 Kings how the nation of Israel separates into two kingdoms, the north and the south. Um, it's ruled by kings, hence the name kings. Um, Israel is ruled by kings, and many of the kings are wicked. Evil. Many of the kings don't lead the nation of Israel in the, in the, right in the eyes of God. And what we see is that um, evil kings come and go, and Israel um, has a fate that's not great. And what, what, what we see is prophets along the way. Is li- they're littered all the way throughout um, um, the, the, the narrative, and they're people who are messengers from God. They're God's mouthpiece who, who, who speak his word, who warn the kings, who remind the kings, who... Um, help the kings rule Israel according to God's way. And many times they don't listen to them. And so this story is about a prophet called Elisha. And I want to set the, set the background with this scripture here, and I'm going to go into the next passage. But let's read together. It says, Now when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. This is the end of Elisha's life. He's, he's, he's about to die. King Joash is the king at the time. He's yet understand a little bit of the background of King Joash. He had just inherited, he, he's inherited a, a kingdom that's been now being weakened. It's no longer the strong Israel that we think it's all, it, it is in the, in the scriptures and the passages gone by. He's at a point where enemies around him are oppressing the, the northern kingdom of Israel. He, he could be the king that where... Israel could be completely wiped out. And so he's at this point of perhaps des- desperation. And perhaps he knows that, you know, if I, if I continue in this way, you know, it could, be, it could be a time that ends this nation. And so he comes, he knows, he knows about Elijah. Elijah was a prophet. If you read about through his story, um, he did many great things. And, and he's not a person that's quiet. He, you know, you, you, people know Elisha. King knows Elisha. And so on his deathbed, Elisha gets a visit from Joash, the king of Israel, and it says that he cries out to him, my father, my father. And, you know, it's, it's a bit weird because King Joash, we know, is not a, a man of faith. The Bible actually earlier in this chapter talks about him being a, a king who did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But he comes up to Elisha with a sense of respect and that, and, um, that he, Elisha has authority my father, my father, my father. And he goes on, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. In those words, it was almost like him saying to, to Elisha that I believe in your God. I believe that your God 
can win this battle for us. Our God, your, your God has the strength and the, the power and the defense to, to lead us out of this problem. So he came to Elisha almost like in this hope that Elisha would save the day for him. And in the next part, King Josh is presented with this opportunity, an opportunity of a lifetime to make a difference in his world. And that's in verse 15, it goes on and it says this, And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elijah laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, Open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot, and he shot. And he said, The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory from victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. See, in this first, in this symbolic act, all he had to do was pick an arrow up and shoot it towards his enemy, and Elisha promised him victory. You know, this bow and arrow, that they represented the strength and victory of God. And, 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 and so for King Joash, it made sense. It's, it's a, it, I get an arrow, I shoot. The victory's mine. It's easy. But what I wanted you to get, actually, is what's found in the next part of this scripture. Because this is really important. And this is kind of the part which I really, really want to dwell on today. In verse 18, it goes on. This the second Almost like the second test for King Joash. He goes and says, Elisha says to him, take the arrows that he has. And he took them and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And King Joash struck the ground one, two, three times on the ground. You know, you read the scripture and I think the scripture stopped right there. We would think nothing of it. King Joash, a wicked king, came to Elisha listened to him, obeyed him, great, fantastic. But it's in the reaction of Elisha we see that something is not quite right. So in the next verse, it goes on and it says, Then the man of God was angry with him and said, You should have struck five or six times. Then you would have struck, then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died and they buried him. You know, I, I wonder, you know, the first time I kind of read this scripture was probably in my Old Testament class. Um, and, um, and I read it again and I got back because I, um, over and over again. And I, I think I wondered why Elisha was so mad at this situation. Like, didn't he just listen? Didn't he just obey his commandments, didn't he just do that? And I think for a lot of us, we, we think it's not fair. Why, why in the world would Elisha get angry at the king? Um, I kind of want to look, at, I think we need to look actually at the people involved in this situation. I think if we kind of read the situation just as it is, we miss the point of this scripture. If we start to look at who King Joash was and, jo- was and who Elisha was, we start to realize why Elisha was actually so mad with him. King Joash, as I mentioned earlier, he's not, he wasn't a man of faith. He wasn't a man who, who lived his life according to the ways of God. He wasn't a man who trusted God. You know, when he came to Elijah, Elisha, it wasn't as if he was coming because he, he had continuously come to Elisha for help. He was a man who, who, at his desperate end, came to Elisha, and Elisha gave him an opportunity. And what Elisha saw, I think, was a man who, who wanted something. He wanted an outcome. He wanted something that, you know, that he probably didn't deserve. But what he saw even more so in King Joash was a man who wasn't committed to the cause. 
It was a man who, when, when, when faced with something that didn't make sense, like the first trial he had, the first test he had was to shoot an arrow. That made sense. You, sh- you shoot an arrow. But the second, you don't, you, don't, you don't strike an arrow to the ground because that's not what you do with an arrow. King Josh is at this place where it didn't make sense and he, and he wasn't committed. And I think Elisha didn't see, saw that in him, that he was not committed to, to his to his task. You know, I look at, at a similar example today, and I, I don't know about you, but I follow sports a lot. Um, the Wimbledon's going on at the moment, and there's an Australian tennis player called Bernard Tomic. Um, if you follow tennis, you'll know about him. He's one of the great Australian hopes. Great tennis player. I think he's actually got very talented. He's just that he probably is a, is a young guy who is just not just doesn't give it his all. And just recently at Wimbledon, um, he's caused a lot of media um, reports about just his behavior. He just lost a match in the first round of Wimbledon. Great talented guy that he is. But what he, is what he did afterwards, what, what angered people. In his interview afterwards, he basically told people that he didn't, didn't care. He wasn't committed to the match. He couldn't care less if he won or lost. And, and so the, it keeps going. And you hear this morning, I read another, art, another article about him and um, how he's just adding fuel to that fire and how he really was not committed to that match. And people are angry because someone with so much opportunity, someone with so much ability, someone who can change um, the way even like Australian tennis could possibly be, you know, he decides that I'm not committed. And I think... Um, in that situation, King Josh had this amazing opportunity to change the history for Israel, but he wasn't committed. And I think Elijah saw that. Maybe King Josh was there thinking that maybe tomorrow it's okay, Elijah, he'll give me another shot. But the Bible says in verse 20, you know, that Elijah dies after this. Elijah dies, the opportunity is finished. No more does he have the opportunity now to change the course of Israel. You know, I wonder how many of us really believe that, you know, what we do today um, impacts tomorrow. Now, as I was thinking through my message, I always wanted to title my message in a simple way. It's not, not like that great, but I want you to kind of get this, that what we do today impacts what the, the outcome tomorrow. Um, two of the greatest um, cooks in my life um, are my wife and my mother-in-law. Um, before I met them, I couldn't care less about food. For me, two Weebix and a banana in the morning, sandwich in the, uh, for lunch and instant noodles for, for dinner was a great meal. Um, when, but when I met my, my wife and my mother-in-law, food um, becomes paramount to life. And <laughs> my mother-in-law, um, she's a fantastic um, giver. And um, last Sunday... Uh, what happens when my father-in-law comes back from Malaysia? Um, most of the time, we get together for a meal. I haven't been there for like 18 months. And so this is like our first family reunion at her house. And uh, she likes to cook a big feast for us. And, um, and so she's cooking away and she's preparing the food. Um, and my family, we just turn up at 6.30 and we enjoy it. Now, five years ago, that would have been a pretty easy task to do. Um, a smaller family and um, less people to cook for. But now she has, she's got five kids of her own, four son-in-laws, some of them eat like horses, um, <laughs> six grandkids and going, keep going, keep going, but herself and, um, and her own husband. 
Um, we go to restaurants now and we just make numbers up uh, when we try to make a reservation. We don't even know how many we have now as a, as a family. But she would sit there in the afternoon. Like I actually observed her this time around. She made three different kinds of fishes, fish. One for the kids, two for the adults. And you hear a story on how she prepares her fish even. This is where I bought the fish from. This is why I bought this type of fish. This is why the fish is so expensive. And this is why I steam it at this time so it's still hot when everyone arrives. You know, she knows what it means to prepare a good meal. She knows that what she does in the preparation, what she does today will affect the outcome tomorrow. You know, I would never be thinking about that. But she does. Now, you know, when it comes to, to marriage in our lives, and, and I, some, of, some of our young adults perhaps are thinking about marriage in the, in the next, I don't know, few years, you know, a good ma- you talk to people who have good or bad marriages. You know, just by saying, I do, on a, on a wedding day does not make you, does not change you as a person. Does not make you a perfect husband. Does not make the perfect wife. You know, I look, I look at so many people and they, 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 they tell me that, you know, once I get married, things will change. You know, it doesn't. You know, what you do today in your lives determines the type of partner you're going to be later on in your life. You know, some of us, you know, we have, we are married or some of us want to be, have dreams to have a family. And some of us want to, and all of us here would say that we want our kids to grow up loving God. We want our kids to, to, to love God with all their heart and marry a godly person next time. Um, but how many of us know that to raise godly kids as well, you know, it requires a lot of hard work. It requires us to model our behavior. It requires us to be people who love Christ ourselves. And how many of us then will look at our lives now and go, hey, look, I'm not, I don't have kids yet, but I'm going to prepare my life. I'm going to prepare. The, I'm going to be disciplined. I'm going to love God. I'm going to do the things that God wants me to do. So one day my kids will see what I do, and they're going to also model my lives after me. You know, some of us have dreams where, you know, some of you want to influence the world. I hear young adults all the time speak about how they want to impact, you know, third world countries or, you know, they want to be generous. They want to do things that, you know, make this world a better place. I wonder how many of us will actually start now in their lives to start to really sow into your lives today so that your outcome tomorrow would be something of, of impact. Um, I, think it's, I think it's difficult. Um, we live in a generation now that is so post-focused. And when I say that, you just have to look at Instagram, Snapchat. I don't have these things, by the way, but my, my wife does, so she shows me. Um, if, um, Facebook and what people post online even. You, you, don't, you, you don't see very often people post about the journey. You, feel, you see people post about the finished product, maybe the, the nice sunset that they've, that they've um, taken a picture of, the beautiful sunset, or the nice baked chocolate cake that they've done and they spend time and, and everyone sees it and everyone likes it and go, wow, that's amazing. Or, you know, what I showed before, the, the, the nice family picture. You know, oh, everything, everyone's smiling, everyone's looking at the camera, everyone's dressed nicely. We live in this generation where... We, we like to see, we, we're result-orientated. We live in this world of instant gratification. But how many of us really um, value the effort it takes to get there? You know, you saw the picture, and I showed you earlier. Let me just kind of pull it up again for you. Um, this picture, this is, I mean, for us, this is a great picture. For us, yeah, Sonia, this is like an amazing picture. Yeah, I'll tell you why, because, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you why, because um, everyone's looking at the camera, or just about. 
there must have, we must have spent probably, I don't know, five, ten minutes trying to take that picture, trying to get all the kids together, trying to, there must be like probably five or six people from our church waving their hands, making funny faces, trying to get my daughter and my son to look at the camera. But that is hard to do. But we, all you see is that. You know, we, I think in this world, in this generation, this society today, we have a tendency to not value the process to get there, the preparation it takes to get there. But it is so important. What you do today impacts your world, your outcome tomorrow. And I think we, we need to understand that. Some of us understand, it, but understand that, but so many, so many of us don't live that out. You know, when I was in Chicago, um, this guy here... Um, we um, got really quite good friends over the last. This is my mic. Um, um, we we made friends with. Sorry. Okay. One. Awesome. Uh, we made friends with a guy called um, Sam Archer. He's a um, NFL player for the Chicago Bears, and he's a big guy. He's a um, he came to our church at Willow Creek, and so Sonia in her in her woman's group got to know his wife, and we got to know each other. And we went over to his house for dinner dinner one night, and um, he's actually. A, a really godly man, a really humble man. He's a guy who in his own um, NFL club, professional uh, NFL club, runs small groups for his teammates and he brings his teammates to church. And so at, at church on Sunday in the foyer, you see these big, you know, African-American guys, you know, they're, they're standing in the foyer and they're all there and there's all these Chicago Bears players are there. But we went to his house and, um, um, and he t- he's about 27, 28. He's considered quite a veteran of the game. He tells me that, um, the most NFL players, um, their whole career span lasts for about three years. An average player. He's been in the game professionally now for almost eight years. And so for him, it, this is actually a really big accomplishment for him to still be in the game. And I asked, asked him, what is the key? What do you think is important for you to have lasted that long in the game? And he, and he, he would tell me, like, when I was younger, when I was drafted in, with a lot of my peers, and as I got drafted in, many of the many of the younger younger guys my age, they get carried away with life in the spotlight. They get paid a lot of money, they sign big contracts. Um, it's this fame that they, they they don't know until they actually get it. And a lot of them invest their time in different things. They 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 buy fast cars, they go out. Um, they're on the weekends. They're the ones flying to Las Vegas. Whereas I'm the one. I'm the one back home. I'm I'm sleeping early, and I'm the one who's disciplining myself. Um, to go to training the next day. And for him, he knows that when game time hits, when September hits, when they start to cut the squad back to 54, um, which is the, the squad numbers for the season, that he needs to be ready. His body needs to be in the right shape. And so as I talk to him, I see his life lived out. He's got two beautiful kids. Um, one, his boy is like my son's age, and his measurements like off the chart. He's huge. Um, but he tells me that he sleeps every night at 11 o'clock. You know, he's up by six. He's at training by seven. There's some days where he's back um, training when everyone else has gone home because he knows that that effort he puts in now will impact the time that he's later on. And I think he, for him, he gets it. And I think we have to start to understand that what we do in our preparation right now in our lives really does impact our tomorrow. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations that just don't make sense. And I, uh, and I, 
And I want to be very real because when we're in situations sometimes, when we're doing things that require hard work and effort, and sometimes they just don't make sense. And the easiest thing for us to do is to tap out. Um, King Joash was put in a position where he was striking the ground with three arrows that just did not make sense. You know, if it was a hammer maybe, it might have made sense, but it was arrows. And so he tapped out. And I think if you look at Elisha's life, he knew what it meant to prepare for something even though it didn't make sense. And I think for us today, we have to kind of, we have to realize that we're going to be placed in situations just like that, where we're going to be doing things where it just does does not make sense. And so what does God want us to do for those situations? situations? We look at um, uh, Elisha's life, and if he he never knew, that he was, go- he was going to be this sort of, sort of person. You know, I think for some of us here, if we knew that um, what the outcome would be, we would work really hard to get there. If God told us, um, if, you know, some of you are single ones out here, if God told you what was your wedding date and who you were going to marry, I think that we would hold off, you know, any other relationships that we have until that person came along. It would be really easy to do that, right? But, we, we don't, but for all of us here, I think most of us here, we don't, we don't know who we're going to marry. You know, if we were on the train going back from work one day and we, we knew if we spoke to that guy across from us that he just would just give his life to God, I think most of us would go and speak to him. But we just don't know that, and so we don't do it. And I think that so many times that we're placed in situations, that situations where we don't know what's going to happen and we just tap out and we just don't do it. Elisha um, was called by his successor, uh, by, his, um, by his mentor, Elijah. Elijah, as you would have heard about Elijah in the Bible, who was another great prophet. And Elijah came at the end of his life. Um, he was a man who was depressed. He was, he was he, in his own self. He was quite, like, he wanted to kind of finish off his life already. He was down. He was really sad. And so but God says, you go and call this person, Elisha, and I'm going to send you there to call him. So this scripture talks about the calling of Elisha. It says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19 to 20, it says, So when Elijah departed from there, and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12, Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. The casting of the cloak upon him was a symbolic act of uh, the anointing of a prophet. And the things in the Bible are there for a reason. Um, it's very brief, the calling of Elijah, Elisha. But it, I believe that, you know, when you read the Bible, when things like details like this come out, you really need to take notice of it. Um, we often think that Eli- when Elijah chose Elisha, there was this big, perhaps Elisha had already been in training. He was already a great preacher, a really great speaker, a really great prophet, but he wasn't. The Bible tells us that he was busy plowing the field. If you understand the context of this story and a bit about farming back then, there was 12 pairs of oxen. Um, he was coming from coming behind, meaning that he was probably managing the servants at the time. He was probably a man that was, uh, was a son of a father who probably owned the field. He had, probably had some wealth. And, but he was, even though he was in that situation where he probably could have sat down and let his servants do everything, he was in the field plowing away. He knew what it meant to plow, to work hard, to toil the soil. You know, I was at Collingwood Farm last week with my, with my family, and there was two cows in the field, and, and it, 
as my kids walked past, they were like, that stinks. Because there was poo everywhere and the cows were stepping in their poo. And that's what Elisha was doing day in, day out. He was plowing the field. He was working hard. He didn't know where that was going to take him. It didn't quite make sense. But Elijah comes, and Elijah comes, and he comes, and, and then suddenly it started to make sense. This is why you're doing what you're doing right now. And it was through that situation, through that, through those times where he was plowing. You know, he he wasn't wasn't learning the art of being a prophet, but what he was learning was things that you know fed into who he was, his character, resilience. He was learning about patience, things that you know that are hard to learn. But through those 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 tasks that he had, he was learning those things. Elisha was a man who knew what it meant to prepare, and today, so that tomorrow, uh, will be impacted. Now, I want to kind of finish with a, a brief story and um, just make a ch- real challenge to the church and to the young adult group especially. Um, I grew up, as I mentioned, in FGA. I grew up, um, a lot of my, li- all my, all my young adult life, I still remember it like yesterday. Um, a lot of my friends were leaving church in my young adult leave, um, years. I remember that um, we were in a, in a space of life where we were just discovering God, I think working out God and our, our faith and I think a lot of our, my friends were looking for something that, you know, that was a bit better. And um, that was fine. Um, but I came into FGA when I was probably about 18, 17 or 18, probably 17, just finished high school. Um, and then I went to Monash, did my double degree there, um, finished. And I, and I remember my, even my, in my course, sitting down with my dad and him telling me, you know, you've got to do something in IT. Because at the time, the big IT boom was happening. And I said, you know, I really don't like programming. I, I, I don't like it. But I remember doing my course, commerce science, majoring in computer science, and just kind of doing it for four years and going, okay, look, I'm here. I'm, I'm here for a purpose. I'm going to do it. I'm just going to grind away at it. And, and I finished it. And I remember then going off and finding my first job as an analyst, you know, in a, in a car rental company, doing that for a couple of years until they moved up to Sydney. And then I remember... Um, Finding a job in a small company, um, something that I probably would not have done, it just kind of came up, and I, it was a printing company, and um, it, was, it was tough going. I remember questioning God during those days in this, in this company where um, I think it was close to the time of the GFC, and um, our company was going, about to go bankrupt, and I remember it was me and my boss, you know, we couldn't hire any more staff at the time, and we lost two of our major clients, and I was questioning God, God, why am I here? Should I just leave now? But we stuck with it, and um, and we and we started to build the business back up again, um, and I and I and so I was doing everything in, in, at the company. I was going, oh God, why am I here? I should be. I'm young. I should be getting experience in a bigger company and everything. And then Chris comes knocking on my door, and he, and then he says, Hey, look, why don't you why don't you give it a shot? Come in. Why don't you try help, come be my assistant in kids and kids in youth ministry and. And I, and I start to realize just how all of this before me, it didn't make a lot of sense. But now it was starting to make sense where God was kind of preparing me. I found my wife and, you know, I think I look back and who I am, I'm, I'm definitely not perfect and I'm definitely not all that and my wife would tell you that. But all of this was preparation to who I am today. And I think for a lot of us young adults here and a lot, even the church, I think in general, that we need to look at our lives today and see that you know, situations that you know, may, not, may not make sense. Maybe you're stuck and you're, you know, your friends are doing all sorts of things there and you're seeing your friends get a lot of greater results and you know, milestones, and, but you're just plugging your way. I think there's, there's value in the, value there. 
I think what you do today really determines the outcome, really impacts the outcome tomorrow. Um, I know this, this, I, I gotta say this because I know there's certain situations that are really destructive and you just need to get out of. But I think for a lot of us, we need to learn to use the situation that we're in as our preparation for tomorrow. I wanna finish with one final thought. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if I was gonna say this, but Sonia said last night as I was telling her, you gotta say it to the church. So um, here goes. Um, Elisha, after he was called, um, he you don't actually hear about Elisha's life for many, many more chapters. Um, you go on, you read First Kings and go to Second Kings, you actually don't hear about his life. But what happens is that, uh, what we know is that Elisha, Elisha was under the mentorship, discipleship of Elijah for a period before he reached his full calling as a prophet. I think for us as a church, we can look at the young adult group, we can look at different generations and go, hey, look, they're... They can do their preparation themselves. They can leave, live their own lives. But I think even in this story, what's very powerful is the need for us to have people in our lives, not just of our own age, but also you know, people who are of a different generation. It is so powerful when you get under the covering, the mentorship, the discipleship of those above you as young people. I, for my life, youth pastors, leaders that were above me, just kind of sowing into, them, into my life. And I think that helps you go through your stage of life even more so. So if I could just leave you with that, those thoughts as young adults um, going ahead that, you know, what your, your season of life is very precious right now. It is precious. It is, you need to use your time wisely. As you approach your, 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 your next season of life, it just gets busier. And so use it wisely, prepare what you do today, impacts tomorrow. Um, can I just pray for you guys even as I finish up? Jesus, thank you for, um, this, for this young adult group. Thank you for uh, the potential that is here in this group. Thank you, God, that you have sown through different people into their lives and I pray, Lord, that this group would be a group that would stand firm, that they will use their time wisely, that they will sow into their lives wisely right now, that they will prepare their lives for what faces them tomorrow, that they will not just be people who um, look for short-term gains, but, look, Lord, look out and see the potential that they could be and drive themselves to that place, God. Lord, I pray for this church, even as we do this generation series as well, God, that you would just move across the generations, that generations will impact each other, and that we will live as a family of God here, a household of faith, God, that would impact the lives of each other, God. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.